0: Hey Matt, it's a fall Hi, day, man, <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Hi, Ruby. Beautiful fall day, man. I've been I've been decorating the front of my house. Ever since I bought this house, I've been like, I cannot wait to decorate it for Halloween. Because last Halloween, I had like like a two day old baby. You know, she was born on the sixteenth. So like, worst
1: decoration ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have time. I think I put out like a pumpkin. That was all I could put out. Like I had okay. no time to decorate. So this year. I got, like, every step on the porch. Two
1: pumpkins.
0: I have, like, like, 30 pumpkins, dude. I have pumpkins all over the steps. I have a giant, like, plastic pumpkin that's as big as my head, even bigger, with, like, a big jack-o'-lantern face. I have cobwebs. I have a skeleton out on the porch. It's looking good, man. We
1: haven't done anything yet. I just decorated my class, but I haven't decorated the house. But we have to start, because the people across the street who are our friends, they have a kid at Kent's age. Yeah. They have, like, two inflatables. Yeah. And one of them's a ghost. And Kent is really into it. All the time, ghost. Boo. <laughs> now it's one of those things, and you're gonna see this with Sammy. I don't know where he learned that. I didn't teach him that. Amanda didn't teach him that. So I don't know. Like, where does he know that a ghost says "boo"? It's so interesting to see how like they learn life. But anyway, he's into it. Uh, so Matt, I got to start. The, putting ghosts shit out
0: here. the ghosts tell well, him. The ghosts tell him. That's probably man. true. Yeah, the <laughs> ghosts like. He's like, whoa, who are you? And he's like, I'm a ghost. You know what I say? Boo. Tell to hear one
1: Want to hear yeah. awesome little kid Halloween scary shit, like yeah. thoughts from a little kid? Yeah, yeah, I read a story to a group of five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like the classic story of like, don't go in that house, there's a witch. And the main character and his sister end up go, on Halloween, go in there. And it's not a witch, it's just an old lady who's wondering why nobody trick-or-treats at her scary-ass house. <laughs> and the kids are like, because your house is fucking scary, let's clean it up. Yeah. So they help her clean it up, right? When the kids go inside, their friends are outside, and they're like, oh my goodness, What if she's got them and doing experiments? What if she's got them and she's feeding them to something else? One of the things that one of the kids thinks is what if she put them in an oven and she's going to cook them like Hansel and Gretel? And it says that. And there's a picture of a witch pushing the two kids into like an old timey, stony oven. And it's not graphic, but they're getting pushed in there. (laughs) So I'm talking to the kids that I'm reading the book to and I'm like, Guys, when we, we've been talking about fiction. I was like, guys, this story is fiction, right? And I said, do people really put people in ovens? And uh, they were like, no. And I didn't, it wasn't a World War II lesson.
2: <laughs> I know. So I
1: said, <sighs> so I said, I said, do, do, I said, do, do, I said, I said, can people really go in ovens is what I said. They said, no. I said, people can't cook other people. That doesn't make sense. One girl raised her hand and said, and people would not taste good. And I was like, you're you're kind of thinking two steps ahead of me but then I thought about it and I was like but think about this guys who has an oven in their house everyone raised their hand I was like can you put a person in there everyone went no Daniel said and he said it just like this but you can put a baby in the oven and he said it just like that I was like oh shit Daniel
0: Daniel do you have any uh, younger siblings at home Uh, your parents should probably keep you Daniel's mom (laughs) Today in class, I'm I'm worried I may have implanted an idea completely by accident.
1: When Daniel glued his backpack to the chair, I told you that was normal kindergarten behavior. However,
0: <laughs> you should probably hold on to your. Infant uh, I was dying,
1: for- and it's one of those times that, like, I tried not to look horrified. I tried yeah. not to look like I was gonna bust out laughing. I just had to be like, "That's true, a baby could fit in there, but would we put a baby in the oven?" No. Thankfully, Daniel said no. <laughs> And that other girl was like, Yeah, are you? The other girl was like, Aren't you idiots listening? I said it wouldn't taste good.
0: <laughs> I just want to hear some kid try to pronounce the word cannibalism.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't taste very good. Oh, man. Well, we're, we're, we're off topic now.
0: Let's get back on topic. So, yeah, Matt. we're
1: talking about cooking babies. <laughs>
0: Launch Dad Podcast, cooking babies. Here's a great recipe. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, we, no, have we, have, guest, we actually have, we have a really a, good show today. This is going to cor- be fun. This is actually a great show. We've had a good run lately, Matt. We um we haven't we didn't do a lot of interviews during the pandemic. We did a couple, but we've been doing some recently, and they've been great. Uh, thanks to everybody who listened to our Janice Chang episode. Uh, that was really cool. I, yeah, that was You a never lot of know, fun. you know, when you're talking to something, you never know how it's going to go. And it was great. Janice was an awesome guest. Thank you to everyone who listened. Uh, I hope you guys learned a little bit about lettering because that's something I think is like an unsung hero of the comic book world. Um, well, she she works at a cool comic book company called Storm King um, that is produced by Sandy King and John Carpenter. They, they put together all these awesome horror comics and work with an awesome crew of writers and artists and letters and uh, we got Sandy King Carpenter here, which I think is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about horror movies, a little bit about horror comics and a little bit about what we do to get ready for Halloween.
0: Yes, I cannot wait because, you know, we watch a lot of horror movies and I'm excited to talk to her about horror movies. Guys, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and our website, peppod.com Check us out on that YouTube. Check out our handsome faces. And uh, can't wait to dive into this interview, man. This is going to be yeah. fun. All right, let's get to it.
2: Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Bill. all engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.
0: All right, welcome to Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. Matt, we have a special guest in the Launchpad today. I'm super excited. We've had some great guests recently, and this is no exception. Incredible person who's done some amazing things in movies, television, and comic books. Matt, who's our special guest? Who we got in the Launchpad today?
1: We have the one and only Sandy King is here to nerd out with us about horror. Today, we're recording on October 2nd, so we're just kind of getting into that Halloween season, ready to get our scares on, ready to read and watch some scary stuff. And we have one of the masters with us. Miss King, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, my pleasure. I'm way to start
0: Saturday. Right? <laughs> I was decorating my house for Halloween. I started putting a bunch of spider webs on the house, some skeletons out, a bunch of pumpkins. I am so ready for the Halloween season. Um, this is going to be great. Now, you've done some amazing things. You are a producer, a writer. You're a comic book CEO, editor, writer for Storm King Comics man, Matt, where do we start? There's so much well, to talk about.
1: <laughs> this is actually one of those things. And, and it, it luckily for us, it happens quite often where Aaron and I kind of have to narrow what we want to talk about because we'll keep you here all day because you've done so much stuff. We could just talk about the things that you've touched for the next five hours. So we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about some of the things that actually jumped out to both Aaron and I independently. You... You're not just a producer. You're not just a writer. You're not just a comic book editor or or a, a publisher. Even you're someone who knows horror and brings horror into those things. Um, and I think one of the coolest things that uh, I learned researching you is that you've said that horror is not a subject. It's a reaction. And I really thought that was a great way to frame horror as an idea so I wanted to know if you could elaborate a little bit on that and speak a little bit more of that and then I have a couple questions to follow up about that
3: well I think a, a lot of people try and define horror and say uh, you have to have blood you have to have killings you have to do you know various things and and I think that's a fallacy Uh horror is how we react to something around us so you know, you can't just say, "Oh, I've got this cool scene where you stab someone and 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 nail them to the garage wall." Well, if I don't care about them or it means nothing to me, I'm not horrified by it. It's just another thing you see. I think that um, horror is an allegorical medium for a- another story, another thing we're trying to say. And mm. if we haven't built up caring about the person, the issue or something that strikes us, you don't care. Um, I think it's why often you don't have as visceral reaction as you might to say, uh, just a splatter movie or, uh, uh, you know, we go through phases where everybody like wants to see the latest gore or the latest this, but you're inured to it because you don't care but if you get the suspense going and you get the characters going in those things and it's something you care about, you're having the reaction of horror to what's happened. You kill the bunny, I, I guarantee, you know, people are going to have a reaction to it. Don't kill the dog in Old Yeller. That's a horrified reaction.
1: Right, right. It's interesting. It's interesting that you brought Old Yeller into that. My next question was going to be, <laughs> if we think about horror as a reaction I want to know you as a consumer of media, not necessarily yet as a maker of media, what is some horror that has given you a reaction, whether it was something you read or something you watched?
3: Uh, Dario Argento can get me every time.
1: Okay, fair.
3: You know, uh, because he is a nightmare visionary. So he has certain visions that will just freak me out and give me nightmares every time more than almost anybody else. Um, it's what he goes through, um, the surrealism of certain things. Um, there's other kinds of, of horror that, that that don't move me anywhere. Hmm. The Dario will get me every time.
1: You have a favorite or something that specifically, whether it's a movie or a scene, specifically gets you every time?
3: Suspiria and and his fixation on maggots, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you
3: know? <Yeah. laughs> you know, just sit there go, "Oh man." Um. <laughs>
0: the maggots are so visceral. That's one that always gets me. I love, I love Suspiria. Um, and and you know, it's and
3: funny. will do it too. Oh, you know? yeah. that's a great. I mean, there's so a lot of maggots. in that one. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it's it's one of those things I think when you watch a like an Italian horror you know like a Dario Argento it shows that you know sometimes story emphasis like it making sense might not be the most important thing if it draws you in in a way that takes you on that ride. There's some things in Suspiria you're like why does she have bug powers? Doesn't matter because you're so drawn in. It's terrifying.
3: Yeah, but he's one of the only ones that can get away with it. I mean, not all giallo moves me. You yeah. know because again it it it's they're painting blood all over but they're not necessarily taking me anywhere sure why dario can take me down those halls painted red i don't know but he can he can lure me in because he's just a master at the suspense Mm -hmm. that goes with it
0: with that goblin soundtrack too you know (laughs) goblin
3: goblin definitely goes there
0: Well, it speaks, like you said, the way he takes you down
1: there because he is a storyteller that speaks to you. Right. He also happens to speak to Aaron and I. There are some people who don't speak that language and maybe the splatter is their thing. But I think it, it like you said, it's it's what you look for in the story. You're looking for characters that you care about, reasons that pull you into that story to make it more than just a way to kill an hour and a half as a creator what kind of again if we're thinking of horror as a reaction as a creator whether it's on the screen or on the page a a, a comic page specifically what reaction what horror reaction are you hoping to give us the audience with a story
3: i'm trying to speak to whatever your fear is in you um you know we now do comics all the way from four years old four-year-olds up through adults and you experience different fears at different ages Mm -hmm. so like for little kids i'm not trying to scare them i'm just trying to let them in on the fun yeah so there's bunny ghosts and things like that just so they can feel not left out uh you start hitting the 8 to 12 year olds and they want to feel empowered and not so at loose ends Um, but they're starting to experience loss and that kind of thing and we've all been there yeah Uh, you get to the adults and it's more existential fears and those are you know as much as you'll have parents say oh my kid watches you know walking dead he'll be fine with it well first of all you know that's a soap so there's nothing to be afraid of uh (laughs) you you just have scary masks but um the kind of fear i'm appealing to and hoping to let people work out their fears through is more existential for the grown-ups yeah. it's uh, issues of faith uh, life after death um, bigger loss and you know who am I and so those are going right over the heads of of the preteens who think they're so grown up sure <laughs> they are just looking at the pretty pictures um, oh,
0: it's, uh, something you brought up is that is the adult fears, and I've always said the best monsters and the best horror comes out of a real fear. You know, like the Babadook is a cool monster, but what makes it work is that it comes out of the fear of the mother that maybe yeah. she doesn't love her child like she should be. And and I, I think that's so true. It's, it's, it's always amazing when you realize, like, why is this hitting me so hard? I just had a child this year. I have a one-year-old coming up, and, and she... You know, you, watching Rosemary's Baby as a teenager, you're like, yeah, yeah, the neighbors are creepy. I get it. You watch that with a pregnant wife, and it's like, oh, Ooh. whoa, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you'll never look at that infant the same way again.
0: No, yeah. no, it's amazing.
3: that—that's the kind of thing where, when writers are bringing me stories, you kind of go, okay, but what are you trying to say? Why do you want to make this story? You know, who are you trying to connect to? Why is it important to you to make this story? Mm. Don't tell me it's because you always wanted to kill someone in the shower. Mm. That's not good enough. Sure. Um, for me, you know, maybe good enough for someone else, but as an editor or, or uh, a producer, I want to know what is it that's driving you to talk and say this. Um, so that's what I look for. And that's what I try and do when I'm writing. Is figure out, okay, you know, every once in a while I have a really cool scene and no story to go with it. Right. You know, I had one of those in, in the, the current Halloween nights that's coming up. And I sat on that fragment of story for, oh, it's probably going on 10 years. Because I wow. could never find, you know, it was a great kind of payoff, but I couldn't mold the right story that made it pay off. And so I just sat in the drawer and I finally had an aha moment where I went, a short story, idiot, this will work. And you can make it twist around and do.
0: Find the vehicle that suits it best. That's awesome. I just
3: didn't want to give up that wall of faces. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right. I know this will work somewhere.
0: (laughs) The, but that makes the payoff so much better when it justifies using something that cool. And you didn't just because it's funny you brought up The Walking Dead and because I'm, I'm the VFX supervisor for that show. And mm-hmm. so often, you know, when you watch, I mean, zombie movies, because they're kind of they kind of are a dime a dozen. They do come out quite a bit. But I feel like a lot of times you watch a horror movie or a TV show and you're like, oh, wow, you wrote everything just to get us to this cliff's edge right. so we can be in danger.
2: Yeah.
1: The and the audience st- knows. The yeah, audience yeah. knows when you did that, as, like when your plot is a device just to get you to that scene. To, to right? the scene yeah.
0: instead of the other that's, way around.
3: That's, you know, unfair. You're cheating them. Mm. And uh, you haven't earned that, that payoff. Um, and I love everybody, you know, from its beginning, the Walking Dead people have all been friends of ours, you know, between Norman Darabont and Greg and, yeah. and, and Darabont, yeah. you know, before I lost his mind and um, <laughs> you know, there was but, a time yeah but you know um but it's it you know i really feel that you have to do more than than just blow up people's heads and um and then have your soap opera going on at the same time. Now, it's fabulously successful. I would not ever argue the point that you know it isn't. And I think Norman is a gigantic part of that because, mm-hmm. because they created a character that, and he worked his ass off to um, engage the fans and knows what they want. And, um, and God knows, I don't think Nicotero has slept in years.
0: Oh, he's I I love working with him. He's 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 just, you know, a master.
3: Isn't he the greatest?
0: Yeah, a lot of fun. Um I play harmonica in his band, which is so fun too. Yeah. But like we just have a blast on set. Whenever he shows up and we're blowing up doing some cool gags and creating it, like he just has he just comes with so much great energy and great horror, you know, ideas of how to make the scene work and how to make the zombies yeah. scary. Because when you're doing something for eleven years, making making a monster scary after we've done it for so long, and this yeah. can be said for Vampires, werewolves, anything. The the industry has been going for so long. How do you keep something fresh and scary? And it's like you said about the wall of heads. You need to find a way that the story can draw out these great moments because throwing away a great moment, it, it actually makes it forgettable. But if you have the impactfulness of, oh, man, it happened to that character that I cared about. You built it up in a way that shook me then those moments stand out way more than any exploding head, no matter how cool and good it is, but cool doesn't stand on its own.
3: It doesn't. It doesn't. And and I think it was one of the hardest things and still remains one of the hardest things to convince uh, film executives that the reason horror was the first fiction uh, filmmaking done and will remain standing throughout is that it's it speaks to an audience the way only comedy does Mm. you know, they're they're two sides of the same coin and I think that executives have proven they always learn the wrong lesson (laughs) 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 And, and they think if you just throw in some teenagers and throw blood on it that's horror Mm -hmm. And they're not dignifying the audience. And the more you dignify that audience and know that you have a very very smart, discerning audience and don't shortchange them, the more it pays off for everybody.
1: I think that's a great point. And I think maybe it's because horror is so rapidly produced. There's so much of it out there. Maybe because, the I would say arguably some of the larger demographic is that teenage slash tween age years. We as creators could dumb dumb that down and disrespect them without even meaning to. When like you said, we really should be respecting what they're bringing to the table, or at least the the option of what each demographic that we're focusing on. Um, and I love when you broke it down into that. You guys look at, you know, what the four year olds are looking for, what the 12 year olds are looking for, what the 30 year olds are looking. I'm going to give you a pitch right now. You don't even have to give me credit. I know. <laughs> Bring it full circle. I want a made for adults rabbit ghost story and I want it to be like I want you to scare my 40 year old self with a rabbit ghost I think that would work and it'll bring me back to my childhood
3: well they already made the lupus, but the lupus <laughs> yes but they did yeah it didn't work unless <laughs> you really high I mean unless so there is they a were demographic ghosts. for it that's really stoned from the night before and it is you know putting a lot of drugs into their chocolate milk the following morning. Um, Outside of that, it has a limited appeal.
1: We have, uh, I started it, no, I would say, I don't know, almost 20 years ago, a movie night called Shitty Movie Sunday, where every Sunday night, me and friends get together and we watch funny, funny bad movies we've tried night of the leap is a couple times and it just doesn't work like it's not even bad enough to be good it's just a mess <laughs> no, you know?
3: it's, it's horrible <laughs> i
1: mean
3: i would say more convincing is is the monty python rabbit <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> i agree as far as as demonic scary rabbits go rabbits, yeah. <laughs> yeah so oh, man
0: you 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 broke into comics and i love this story uh, w- it's been told. I know, I've know. i seen many interviews where you've said it, but you, you, you basically were like I'm going to figure out how to do this. You did it. It's incredible that that you broke in and made a big stamp because right now what Storm King is doing is keeping horror comics alive in, in the vein of like EC Comics and things like that that we don't get as much anymore which is sad, but it's so cool because you guys get to do things that are very cinematic that, you know, for whatever reason would make, all of them would make great movies, but for whatever reason they work so well as comics you said you have the children's uh, sort of Avenue you have the the horror ones the the ho- Tales for Halloween the sci-fi ones of all the genres that you're working in in Storm King comics which one is kind of your favorite to, to, to play with
3: I don't know it depends on the day <laughs> cool. um, you know because they, they all just kind of grew out of the first one asylum mm-hmm um, which we did just because we wound up with a property um, that Thomas Ian Griffith and John and I uh, had and I was as you know the story you know annoyed in a television meeting and and decided make a comic out of it Um, and then spent two years researching how to make comics because you know you're going into a whole other business in media and yeah. storytelling medium but through doing that found out I dug making comics and um, and then that led to Tales for Halloween Night just because we didn't have anything uh, for the comic shops at Halloween
2: yeah. and I
3: thought well that's kind of a shame and that came out of getting drunk at San Diego with a bunch of comic writers and and artists and then that grew because a bunch of the others said, "Well, why didn't you ask me?" And I said, "Well, you weren't drunk at the table that night." <laughs> um, so that now you know is the is the annual, and this year is the um, I guess it's the seventh one this year, and um, and then that led to me looking at the table, going, "We don't have any science fiction. Yeah. You know, we're known for science fiction." That led to tales of science fiction. And, um, and then people kept having their kids with them at the table, all wanting you know, the pretty pictures from the other stuff. And I thought, well, why not try this out? And that led to the YA books um, that Louise Simonson uh, wrote the first one with Hyperbreed and, and Steve Niles wrote the first horror one. And then we had littler kids. And, and it just kind of kept being like feeding the maw of what seemed to be the gap. So, you know, it's just whatever's fun and whoever, whatever writer has a good idea, um, as opposed to being a brilliant business plan.
0: But, but um, that's so fun. You guys get to do whatever you want. You're not beholden yeah. to how much it costs because you can just pop out a comic book. If it works, it works and then you can revisit or continue it. If it doesn't work, well, that issue was it, it was still content. Well,
3: yeah. Nobody's going to die on the operating table. I'm not a neurosurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making movies, comics, podcasts, things like that, you know, no one's going to die over my decisions. Yeah. And if someone doesn't like it, you know what? They were out four bucks.
0: Um, exactly.
3: You know, I. but it, it's it's freedom. It's fun.
0: I mean, that's why we do the podcast. I, I used to, you know, I make used to do shorts, and we used to shoot our own little television pilots. But that costs so much money and oh, so yeah. much investment. This, I got a couple of mics, and we just yuck it up on a Sunday, Saturday morning, and it's like, well, whatever.
1: We always it's, said, if no one listens, at least we're going to have fun doing it. <laughs> yeah. and people are listening, which is great. So keep listening, guys. Yeah, the, the
3: <laughs> comics are a fair investment. Um, you know. Uh, I don't have a yacht, (laughs) instead I just just burn money at the printers and,
2: uh,
3: you know, everybody else gets paid and I just sit there and go, well, you know, one day, Uh, (laughs) but but I feel like we provide a niche for, um, you know, money's tight, discretionary (laughs) spending's tight. I want everybody to feel happy about the money they spent. Whether it's the four dollar floppy or the thirty-five dollar trade and mm-hmm. graphic novel, I I want people pleased with what they got and I want them to you know have it collected under their bed.
1: And know. I think it's really interesting that you say that too, because I work with children, I work with five-year-olds, and I would I love to get comics in their hand. As a huge comic person, I've started a huge comic book club and fundraiser at my school, and it's giant. And it's really cool because the comic book club is fourth and fifth graders, and I would say 20, 25, mostly girls, which I didn't expect. So real quickly, I had to figure out, as a 40-year-old man, I had to figure out what eight-year-old girls wanna read, which was uh, you know, a whole new avenue for me, but it was fun to explore. To sidestep from that to you, you're trying to get horror into kids' hands, which is incredible. Because I think that's such a scary concept to some people. Um, And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but earlier today you said um, that you're trying to give them, let them in on the fun is how you phrased it. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I mean, from the interviews and the research that we've read on and done on you so far, and obviously from this conversation, you're someone that's like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it hell or high water. How do you approach something like horror with a five or a six year old? How do you get that? How do you translate what you and I might define as horror into what a five or six-year-old would be interested in and still enjoy as horror?
3: Well, you know, for the for the little the little ones, the the four to seven-year-olds, um, it's just letting them in on the seasonal stuff. So when Halloween comes along, the same way they have their own you know, little superhero costumes or black cats and bats and things. Um, We have uh, uh, Stanley's Haunted House, Stanley's Ghost. I can't remember the title now. Um, But it's very Disney-esque in its look. Um, It's high-quality art. And essentially, you've got these little forest creatures who are upset that they think someone's stealing all their fruit. And then they think it's one of them that's a, you know, the, the, the baby wolf that's always eating everything. And meanwhile, there's, there's a house that's the spooky house up on the hill. And they're convinced they've seen ghosts flying around. And maybe it's something to do with that. And, you know, of course, it turns out to be a white fruit bat that, that has fallen asleep on a truck, gotten lost, and she's hungry, and Then they think they're all still going to go up because maybe that house is haunted and they go up there and they've played tricks on each other and all these things have gone on. And at the very end, they've been being watched by ghost bunnies. So there's (laughs) there's nothing really scary. Everything is a trick that they're playing on each other. So they get to have and and we're we're doing a second one now where um, it's a pumpkin patch. And there's things that let them have all the trappings with none of the scary stuff, because they're not ready to be scared. They just want to play with every with the bigger kids, yeah, um, and get introduced to the idea of ghosts. But they're ghost bunnies, right? So not really going to be scared. They're not. We don't enter into it's dead bunnies. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. Um, you know when we hit the the uh, eight to 12 year olds, where you've got the eight year old girls, are way ready for horror and power. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have the Grimmstown Terror Tales, and that's Hansel and Gretel
2: mm. in
3: modern times. And they come home from camp, and there's green slime all over their house, and their parents are missing. And they hear banging in a closet, and they open it up, and of course, they're convinced, the brothers convinced it's aliens, the down-to-earth twin sister is like, you always think everything is aliens, and it's the booger troll grub. And, and they're scared of him at first, and it turns out he's actually becomes their helper in trying to find their parents, and they find out their parents were monster hunters who kept the town safe. And they have to take over being the monster hunters, and fighting the demons while looking for their parents. And they get big uh, goo guns and all that kind of stuff. So they get to be empowered Mm -hmm. while they're having to deal with the fear of losing their parents. So they take a step into the things that are just starting to occur to um, that age group of the eight to 12 year olds who have maybe uh, had seen illness, a little bit of death, separation maybe their parents are going through divorces and that's the kind of separation they've had um but it lets them feel a little empowerment in their world and banding together with other kids like they're going to wind up being the grimstown defenders in the next book um
0: that's really astute because like a lot of times i i could never really pinpoint what i liked about horror as a kid because i got into horror very young and and really enjoyed it but I think you're absolutely right. It's the stuff that empowered you and the things that made you feel like you were part of the good guys and not a victim of the bad guys.
3: That's exactly it. It it takes them out of the victimization and isolation rule where the brother and sister have each other, but they also have an ally in the booger troll grub.
1: (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Exactly.
3: And I mean, who can resist a booger troll?
0: janice chang shared us uh, shared with us those pages because she did the lettering for the yeah. booger troll yeah. and how you know the, even his words are, are boogery and drippy and i was like that's just so fun what a fun yeah. what a fun character
3: yeah and you'll let you'll in subsequent uh stories find out that he is one of their ancestors who got cursed
2: oh
0: <laughs> It's like it's the, that's
1: quite a reveal to figure out your lineage includes a burger troll. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Every that's family true. has one, Matt. Every family has one. I you guess.
3: Know? No, at least he's not a Republican. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because, and this is one of the reasons that we were very excited to talk to you, and we'll, we'll transition to another topic in a second, but I think a lot of creators that are very good at their craft are naturally good at it and there's not as much thought. It's just the, the the artistic aspect of it, which you certainly seem to have as a creator, but it also seems like you put a lot of thought into this and you think about where the audience is, who the audience is, how and why what you're saying will appeal or not appeal to them. And I think that's really, really interesting. It's a really, it's a really refreshing take to talk with someone who's planning that. Out so far ahead and so meticulously to the point where, as an editor, you're sitting on a story or sitting on an idea that you know is gold because it's not the right time yet. And I feel like, in general, people don't usually—we're not really good at doing that, right? We're not really good at saying this is awesome, but I'm gonna wait. And I'm not good. I'm like, hey, I had a great idea.
3: Here's my idea. I was like, I should say that right
1: now.
3: Well, my dad was a pilot and um he always told me any idiot can fly in good weather so Mm. what you really have to look Mm. at is what's coming what are your obstacles
2: Mm.
3: and how do you plan for that how do Mm. you plan for for not optimum conditions how do you protect the people that work for you how do you plan for things like the pandemic here and how do you keep all that happening? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then how do you look ahead at, at audience building? And also just watching what's going on around you. Mm. Um, each, each move I've made with the comics um, has to do with watching. It's why I do the conventions, you know, say four times a year is to just see how people are reacting, what their families are like, what the upcoming audience is, and um, what shiny objects they're looking for, what their economic circumstances are, how to not price ourselves you know, where we're unattainable. I want everybody to have something special, whether they've got low income and can only buy a little thing, whether they're the big collectors who want the CGC rated stuff, and uh and make it truly a collector item where there's only like 20 of them made or you know 100 of some special bound edition you you want people to have fun and to be happy with what's going on and to have stories that appeal to them
0: well very very interesting and and you know it's that kind of comic insider thing that you know makes you think you know so many people don't even think about that aspect of it is like anticipating what your audience wants because they're all just like, I want comics. But like they don't realize that y- you can tell and see by doing that kind of research that um, that they are interested in the stuff they didn't even know, the, the special edition, the holographic cover, like whatever it is. Yeah, they didn't you're know they putting more thought
1: that. into what they want than they are. Yeah, they're just yeah. consuming really. I mean, most of us do, I think, consume without <laughs> yeah. thinking. Why am I buying this? Why do I want that? And it's refreshing that you're doing it from a um, what would be a genuine standpoint, as opposed to just like, I know where you sleep. I know where you live. I'm going to get that money from you. You're like, I'm going to make sure like you, you literally said, I want to make sure if you're buying that $35 graphic novel that you're going to be happy with that. And I don't think that's the business model of a lot of places, let alone (laughs) specifically art places, you know, something that's created for entertainment. Cause like you said, you can make something that's deep. You can make something that's important or you can make a popcorn movie or a popcorn comic that I'm going to read. I'm going to go through it in one sitting. I'll put it on the shelf and that's the last time I see it. You get paid for either of those, you know, but yeah. it's it's great to hear that you want to really look into that. Um, and like I said, we could talk about you and how many amazing things you've done forever, but I want to know what you do during October. What do you watch? What do you read? Because clearly you're a horror fan. What gets you in the mood for Halloween, Miss King?
3: Well, you know, I was I was thinking about it because you said you were interested in those questions. So I-, I actually made some notes. Oh,
1: nah, wow. Whoa. This is like a first. On the launchpad, pot. Wow, on paper, <laughs> on paper, on
3: <laughs> paper. I, yeah, I, I'm old school. I have legal pads and pens. I love it. Um, you know, there's there's fun movies for when you've got the whole family with the little kids and stuff, and you sure know you've got an obligation to like once a week with the little kids running in and out. Um. You know, you've got like young Frankenstein, yeah. Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, and for the real little ones, it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah. You
1: know, those, okay.
3: Those you pretty much have to do for it to feel like like Halloween's coming. Um, then my personal favorites, leaving in is you have to see the original. 1931 frankenstein at some point mm-hmm. hell yes um classic either version of the thing or both okay mm. um because i can't be a walking billboard for my husband <laughs> um, <laughs> the crawling eye from 1958
0: now that's wow. an interesting one that is that's an interesting. one of one. my
3: faves that that I have to have at Halloween time.
1: So you literally watch that one every year? Yeah. Wow.
0: And okay. the Wolfman
3: from 1941. Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956.
0: Sure. So good. I actually just saw that for the first time this year. I'd seen the what? I'd seen the Donald Sutherland ver- version. No. It. no what? it was so good. The original was so good. I was blown away. I, I was awesome. It was awesome. So awesome.
3: Uh, the fifty-six uh, version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh Sisperia. Mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 74 Tobies. Classic. And Les Diabolique from nineteen
1: fifty five. Oh uh, that's okay. the only one of that list that I haven't seen, and it literally oh. is on my watch list.
3: Yeah. So those are because I figure, like, you know, a couple of weeks leading leading up. Mm -hmm. Those those are my get in the moods. All
1: right. So you every every year you kind of hit most of those or all of those.
3: Yeah, I hit all of them. Wow. Okay. So there's um, there's
1: one on there I got to ask you about right off the bat, and this is very serious. What? Nightmare Before Christmas. Do you also watch that during Christmas, or is that a Halloween movie for you?
3: It can fall either place, and it depends if if uh, you know. I've put it into the rotation now that we have a granddaughter.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, so um, I. These things, those those are the when people have their nieces, nephews, or kids over.
1: Sure, sure. Those
3: are the ones I pick from for that. Otherwise, I don't care. Um, <laughs>
1: <you know? laughs> okay, okay. So you're not taking a hard stance on that
3: one. A <laughs> hard stance for the for the family ones. Those are the ones that get put in. If um, you know, because generally on weekends, at least one day on the weekend, the little one is over. Yeah. So that gets thrown in. That's okay, fun. that
1: makes sense. Well, let's do this. Rumi, you said that you just recently watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the first time, right? The the, the original, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just recently, within the last month or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that, that's one of my all-time favorites. I think yeah. I probably saw it in college for the first time. What about that movie resonated with you, Rumi, as a new-time watcher? And then we'll talk with Miss King and see why it's a classic for her.
0: Oh, it it really captured something that I've, you know, we feel this a lot that, Oh, suddenly my neighbor's acting weird. Um, Suddenly my friend's mom is talking about aliens and, and wizards fighting in the hollow earth. Like we live in a time where truth doesn't seem to matter anymore. And that's horrifying because you don't know when your neighbor's just going to suddenly be like, well, the spaceships are coming. We got to wear tinfoil hats. And you're like, what? Like, The invasions of the body snatchers was subtle about that. The people didn't seem to act crazy. They seemed to act very normal, but they weren't themselves. Mm. And, you know, when when your friends or family are starting to act crazy and get suckered into a truthless sort of narrative, then how do you, like, that's horrifying. And I think the invasions of the body, body snatchers just touched on that in a way that I was like, wow, how topical, how topical for something that, didn't even know. I mean, and I was wondering, like, because, they, you know, there, there's that kind of that era of communism. Oh, we're afraid of communism. Exactly. Was that movie pro or anti-communism? Because it's like, oh, we're, we're afraid that people are suddenly going to become communists. So is this movie actually a super like rah-rah American patriot thing or not? Because you know, it could also
3: be a, you know. a real reaction against McCarthyism.
0: Mm-hmm. See, that was the other side yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I That was the other side I thought felt okay. that way. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's a, It's phenomenal.
3: Yeah. And and I think it's because it's subtler in its handling of it and a lot more below the radar. It's why it's my favorite of the Invasion of the Body Snatcher movies, which are all pretty good. Um, but I like it because it's actually a little creepier and it feels more like today. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: like Aaron was hinting at, I think it. it you, you pick an era. And I feel like that is a great allegory for anything that's going on. I mean, look at where we are right now. We don't even have to get into it, but name any one thing that's happening globally right now, let alone nationally. And you can kind of put pod people invasion of body snatchers allegory there. Yeah. Go back 10 years, go back 20 years, go back 60 years. Still, it's there. And I bet you that's going to be one of those movies that we could wait another 50 years. And my kid, my grandkid will be like, actually, that movie kind of speaks to what's happening today. And I think um, it almost has like your kind of planning to it, Miss King, where you're like, okay, what are people afraid of? What are people going to be afraid of tomorrow? Why are they afraid of that? And that's that kind of story, right?
3: Well, that's that's what I look for in timelessness, um, whether we're making a movie, a television show uh, or a comic book is what's. What's the truth inside it? And you'll see movies that that may have been gigantic hits when they came out, but they're not ones that people go back to ten years later. Yeah, because they were fun or they were pop cult too pop culture ish, and they they didn't address some deeper truth underneath. They were more. Um, ribbon on the square for what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's comedy's biggest problem. When you said it, you know, comedy yeah. and horror, comedy doesn't last very long. I mean, we have comedy that we love because it's nostalgic or it hit us right, but right. comedy doesn't have a longevity. Sometimes whereas it horror doesn't. can. And I think it's because Invasion of the Body Snatchers is has that longevity because it can be applied to many situations and scenarios.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that That again, it separates what may be big box office hits in horror but then they vaporize because they haven't dug deeper and layered in some truth underneath. Yeah. And they've gone for a little more the uh, laughs, too big a laughs inside the horror. Mm -hmm. Um, And they kind of lose the truth.
1: Did you say when when you had first read through your list when you said Vasia the Body Snatchers? Did you roll your eyes and say not the Donald Sutherland one because you feel strongly about that movie as well?
3: No, I I I think it's good. I just think it's a little um, it's less subtle and therefore less. Oh yeah. To me.
1: Yeah. It's definitely more sci-fi feeling than. Uh, cold war dread feeling like where it's under the surface
3: yeah yeah so it's more dismissible sure in in terms of inner dread i like the there's just a creepier threat to me in the original i
1: i can understand that let's let's take that same idea and that same let's call it a proposition and apply it to the two thing movies Because I think one is way more on the nose and a little bit more straightforward in in the vehicle that it is. Um, You don't have to tell me a favorite, but can you tell me maybe like what you like about each? Because it's two different approaches to very similar subject matter.
3: Well, I think John's is scarier. It's got Mm -hmm. a lot more suspense in it. Sure. And again, it does hit, it hits harder on what appeals to me, which is who are you?
2: Mm hmm. Yeah.
3: as opposed to the original which i love for a whole different reason which is which is the the horror without the threat from without which is a little more conservative uh point of view it's coming for you
0: it, it um, is and I, I think the original also has a great it's like a siege horror you know if you're trapped inside yeah. um mm-hmm. I, you know and i think that's why those I I don't think they're that good but the Purge movies have a popularity because it's this oh you know outside is trying to get in and that's scary whereas the Purge movies bug me yeah they're dumb (laughs) but
3: they really do I mean they're so they're so uh, white Um, you know which which is another thing where you just sit there kind of going Jesus guys it's like when I first went into comics all the comics were white and and You know, fully fifty percent of any comic convention floor are people of color, Mm -hmm. and then when you start realizing a bunch of the artists and the artists that I use are people of color, and and they're drawn all white people, and you're like, Mm. what's wrong here? And you're coming from movies, you're going, what is this? You know, what street do you walk down? It's all white people, unless you go to Utah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> the the scariest movie i saw last year was called his house and it scared the shit out of me and it was about uh refugees moving to england african refugees moving to england and the fears that they carried and it had one of the greatest lines she goes i've seen what men can do to each other the indifference of men i've seen those horrors and it's referring to these massacres in her town yeah. You think a ghost is going to scare me and that was I, I got chill. I have goosebumps saying that cuz and then from those fears from the horrors that they witness ghosts creep into their lives and horrifying things happen and I was like that that scared the hell out of me and I haven't I haven't had that experience with a movie in a long time. And to say that they were able to the only way you can do that is from a perspective of a person fleeing war in Africa. We don't get that with a white person's story and it's so awesome to have it just changes perspective. We've yes. we've seen ghost stories, but let's see a ghost story from a different perspective and now you have a new thing to play with, a new avenue to tell maybe a story we've heard a million times and it suddenly feels fresh and scary and great. And I love yes. I love it. There's it's so smart uh a,
3: a, a female African writer that I just got exposed to who's from a very insular refugee group in New York it has a whole different occult set of stories and experiences and and uh this woman can write like gangbusters awesome and um i had an experience with dealing with the the podcast platform that we're about to, to launch through in this next year um where i said okay and i'm gonna bring in this woman's stuff and they were like, oh, there's already an uh, African horror podcast uh, story out. And I went, like, you can't have two? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, boy, is this quite New York elitism. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, just there's a mindset that gets really weird to me. Um different voices different cultures different you know to me those are the weirdest things i encounter as a producer Mm -hmm. uh with launching things and that's one of the most fun things about the comics is i don't care you know (laughs) it's like why do people look at me oddly when i I can't figure out what planet they landed from
0: (laughs) That's amazing. I, I love it. That's so fascinating. Um, and, and the thing, I mean, it's one of my all-time favorites, all-time favorites. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, John Carpenter's thing is now considered one of the greats, just one of the best horror movies. It's up there, yeah, top of lot. the list. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but Aaron when and it, I once took a overnight bus from, Bo- we were in college together in Boston, yeah. from Boston <sighs> to New York to see Mr. Carpenter present that film was i think it was at the lincoln
0: yeah it was at the it. lincoln
1: the- I, we were yeah, so excited awesome. and we were like i don't know what all of 20 years old like 20 and 19 uh-huh. or something yep. it, we it, shared we shared a bed that night rumi just <laughs> yeah, to see just, just to see john carpenter's the thing with him the next day
0: it was Aww. amazing but like that movie it's it's wild to think that when that came out critics were like oh it's just using gore they didn't see, they wow. did, i don't why did why did they not see but the, that's, the the dread. Why did they get sure. it at first? That's
3: what happens whenever you break new ground, mm. and it's far more interesting to be on the bleeding edge than it is to be safe. Sure, it's not interesting to do what's been done.
1: Mm. It,
3: it's a lot it, 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 in all the things we do. It's a lot more interesting to cut new paths. Um, doesn't interest either of us. To to do what's already been stamped and, and and presented. Why why do it again?
1: Sure. That movie always will hold a well, actually both of them hold a special place in my heart because when I was in like elementary school, my uncle lived about two blocks down. My dad's brother, and he was my godfather. And I was I, like Rumi. My parents let me watch pretty much whatever I wanted. I was a pretty I think realistic and understanding kid. I knew it was fake. My parents weren't worried about it. That was my stay home from school because I'm either sick or pretending to be sick. And Uncle Mike had it on VHS. I didn't own it. I'd walk down there, borrow it from him and watch it all day. And I loved it as a kid, elementary school. And I remember one day, oh, yeah, look what it did. Uh, I remember one day my dad said, did you ever see the original? and i was probably all of 10 years old and i was like no you tell me about it and he's like oh well it's kind of like a frankenstein movie it's not like you know the carpenter and i remember being like i am not gonna think that's interesting because it's black and white and it's different pace and i'm not of that genre and i remember even as a kid before i appreciated film for what it is and everything i understood how great it was for what it was. And I loved it for being different than John Carpenter's. You
3: can love both for two different reasons, which is what I do. I I, I love the the original scared the pants off me um, at a friend's house on TV. (laughs) Um, You know, and I loved horror and it always gave me nightmares. And, but you know, I still loved that ride where I'd be behind the couch going like this and that hand would reach through the door with the mattresses and everything. Yep. I'd, just go, yeah, I'd lose my mind. Um,
1: I love that. Well, let's let's roll with that, okay? Whether it's from the list that you just read us or yeah. just in, in your life experience, what's a movie, to use your words, that either scares the pants off you or you still have to watch from behind the couch? So like, what's a lights on movie where like you're a grown woman, you know what the score is for the world, but it still scares you.
3: You know, um, I'd say, I'd say John's the thing. Will still, it'll still yeah? get me with the dog going down the hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that shot'll get me. Um, and uh, yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Will still have me jumping.
0: Mm-hmm. That's uh, intense. It's intense. But the
3: big thing for me is I cover my ears because <laughs> if you take away the sound, I can look at virtually anything. Oh, yeah.
1: that's actually real. I should tell that to kids because that's actually a really smart, yeah, a really smart way. And if you think about it, it's one of those things you 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 don't realize your brain thinks it's just this, but really it's no, the it's experience, the right? Ears. Yeah, sound, oh, sound, so <laughs> Smart woman, this one. <laughs>
3: because i know what we do to make it worse
1: (laughs) Rumi, what's what scares you rooms what always will get that response no matter how many times you've experienced it
0: Uh, the exorcist man that one will always get to me because Uh. i grew up catholic um catholic school for 18 years um I, my parents didn't let me watch whatever I wanted, but they were fine with anything black and white. All the classics, you know, um, Night of the Living Dead. I was so into that stuff. Oh, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I forgot so that. So good. Night of the Living Dead, that, that's another one that would be on my oh, every time gets me list when, yeah. when the daughter's oh, yeah. stabbing the mom. But... Uh, anyway, my, we were at the video store and I was like, I want to watch a rated R movie. I'm old enough, mom. I, I can do it. I'm maybe in seventh grade. I'm 12. I can do it. I want to watch a rated R movie. Please, 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 please. And she's like, okay, pick a rated R movie. And I was like, bam, Exorcist. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And I watched it and I was up all night. The, the covers just up to my nose, just, huh? And every sound was like, what was that? And my mom snores a lot and sometimes screams in her sleep. So that night she was like, ah. Ah, you know, and I was like, (gasps) (laughs) she's possessed. Yeah.
1: Losing. Did they watch it with you or did they just be like, here you go, kid, enjoy.
0: Lose. Yeah. Watched it with me. And let me tell you, my parents were those, let's put it into context. What's happening in this scene. (laughs) There's some awkward moments in the Yeah, I was going to say, how'd they explain that
1: crucifix scene? (laughs)
0: Yeah, they tried, and it was just horrible. It just it just made it more awkward, and the more awkward it was, the scarier it was. Because you're like, what is this movie going to throw at me next? And it, oh, man, it, that one will stick with me forever because it it hit all the right notes. You know, to some people who see a movie too late, like there's plenty of movies that I'm like, I recognize that that's scary, but I saw it way too old and it wasn't scary. But it, you know, it hit, hit all the right notes at the right time. That one will always stick with me
3: see i remember the big debates which scared you jaws or the exorcist for me it was always jaws mm, mm. you know i was scared too i've always worried about the part of the ocean i couldn't see deeper than mm-hmm. sure see? and it was just always like no nah, you know sharks gonna eat my legs that's you know <laughs> where it is. Oh, no, <laughs> no i'm not afraid of god but damn you, know? <laughs> you ever see a shark <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: Get that's bit by a shark, you'll start praying.
1: <laughs> well, that's one of those things too, right? If you think about, you know, William Friedkin and and, and you know Peter Blade making the, the the novel, which has that's that was going to be my answer. I read that novel after college, and I remember turning the light off that night to go to sleep, and I remember being like, I'm fucking scared, and I'm a grown up, and I'm like reasonably sure that myself and no one I love is going to be possessed. But I was still afraid to turn the light up. I was listening to all the noise in the house. (laughs) But, you know, Peter Benchley and Spielberg and Peter Blady and Friedkin, they approach those things differently, right? Yeah. Possession and, you know, there's some existential stuff there that's not on the nose possession. But how many people can relate to that openly versus how many people know that sharks are scary? And also, we don't see sharks a lot. They're under the water. That makes it way more scary. I think there's a better chance that you're going to get hurt by a shark than that someone is going to get sick to the point where they are doing things that I'm not even going to say possessed, but let's put it into context, right? What if they get sick to the point where you have to watch them deteriorate in a bed? I think you can kind of make that play of like a shark is kind of quote unquote scarier.
3: Well, you roll a head at me out of a boat. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well it's it's funny actually the first interview that we ever had on this show was Carl Gottlieb who was the yeah. screenwriter with um Steven Spielberg. He spoke at our college in I don't know 2001 and afterwards I went up and chatted him up and he gave me his personal email address and until we had the show years later I never reached out to him and I finally reached out to him and both on the show and at our school, he told the story that him and Spielberg used to go to theaters specifically to hear that part when when he's underneath Hooper's underneath swimming and and um um Ben Gardner's head pops out of that hole and yeah. they would just be dying and rolling outside listening to that scream, because that does get the biggest reaction in the whole movie.
3: Sure does. Verna it. did it Verna did it in her swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Verna worked around the corner from me. <laughs> You've got no scares. Boom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it works every time. That's my yeah. favorite. And it's like, you love, like, I, I, when I go, I go to draw screening almost every year in a non-pandemic situation, at least. And they always do the, like, who here has never seen Jaws? And you have, like, 30 somewhat hands and everybody's like, oh, man, yeah. I can't wait for that part.
3: <laughs> it works every time.
0: Amazing. Uh, I want to touch back on Night of the Living Dead again since, since you know, like I said, I mentioned, you said it was, it was horrifying. What, what about that movie scares you? What what about that is scary?
3: Well, again, you know, the classic guys from that time, um, George, John, uh, Cronenberg, they were all saying something else about society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, George having a black lead who's the only one out of all the screaming white people who gets it and is saving the blonde girl and everybody you know and he winds up you know being thrown on a on a pile and burned yeah you know it's the whole the wholeness of the movie um and the desperation—I mean, he has a great sense of desperation and isolation. Mm. Yeah, it just thinks astounding. The truck, you know, as the, the you know, just everything that he manages to have these isolated, hopeless situations are—it's fantastic.
0: It is. It is. It's,
1: it's funny because it's we keep hotel. talking about these movies, and as we're talking about them, and I don't know if this is true for the two of you, but I keep getting transported to the first time that I saw each one very clearly. And I'm thinking of this one for me, the part that stuck out the scariest scene and the ending obviously gets everybody right. If you're not in the know before you start it, you can't believe that ending. Yeah. But there's a part about midway in the movie where everybody's kind of telling their experiences. And it's a way for the movie to explain to us, the audience that this shit is global or at least, you know, national Uh, Ben, the main character is kind of, remembering that he drove through a bunch of these zombies and he says they didn't move. They just stood there and he does this with his hand. And you can see, I think in that moment, that character is taking a breath. He's not hammering up nails. He's to like, holy shit, this is happening. And I remember that to me was more horrifying than anything else that happened in the movie was imagining this guy in a truck driving through people not just that but now he's recounting that and his brain is like actually intellectualizing like hey this is fucked like the process those people grief, didn't yeah. move this yeah. is something bad and you can see he's not talking to anybody he's just talking to himself I remember being like this is freaking scary and that was when that that movie became real to me
3: yeah I, I think that that um that was masterful, and it didn't go into any of the, you know, as much as I love Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and stuff, there, there got to be, more, again, more pop culture, more, more humor and other things in those. But that original uh, Night of the Living Dead, I remember I saw it at a, at a drive-in movie when I was in college, and I had the car, and my boyfriend only had a motorcycle, so I had driven and dropped him off at his place. And then had to park and walk down Hillgard Avenue across from UCLA. And I walked down the center of the street and risked yeah. being hit by buses rather than being near any bushes or sure. anything else. You're no it, dummy. It's terrifying.
0: <laughs> it yeah, yeah, that's chilling. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pop that on this season. Yeah, it's it's a that's a every Halloween for me. Um I have a a visual question. Uh is that a Rodan <laughs> behind you? yes yes it is awesome i was
1: looking at that too
0: Uh, are are you a kaiju fan do you like big monster movies yes awesome (laughs) specifically
1: rodan like do you have a whole collection there or is just rodan your favorite
3: Uh, rodan's one of my favorites what what i really that was that was a um a gift from sideshow because they know actually i collect uh, godzillas in my office oh Is wall of wall Godzilla's. And um and then they surprise me with a rodan
1: We're gonna have to have you back on for a Godzilla. (laughs) Godzilla Yeah, wait, yeah, like (laughs) we're pretty (laughs) big Godzilla fans.
0: We have done massive uh we did like a four part episode about every Godzilla movie. Matt and I watched so we started with the
1: Showa, then the Hay then the Millennium.
0: We love Godzilla. What's what's your favorite Godzilla movie? Oh man! Yeah, I know, Put it on the spot.
1: <laughs> that's pretty hard. Pick a, pick a favorite <laughs> child. It's easy.
3: Yeah, yeah that, that's difficult because I love man. What do you think <laughs> is my favorite Godzilla movie,
0: honey? Uh, uh, the original.
3: Yeah, the, I get. I think the original, and then, and then I do like. Um, I mean, I like almost all Godzilla movies except for the for the, the idiot uh, the idiot one where his head looks like a, a tennis shoe box. <laughs> <laughs> <I like him. laughs> you know. Yeah. Where he doesn't have eyes and he doesn't you know, it's like you, you can't make any connection to him, uh, the,
0: the Shin God, Shin Godzilla?
3: No, the it's the American Godzilla.
0: Yeah, the nineteen ninety eight
3: one. Yeah,
1: it just sucks. Oh,
0: yeah. oh, 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 oh. Yeah. It opens like it's the Matthew Broderick okay.
3: one. They're yeah. Out. Yeah, it's horrible. It, it, it because you can't find Godzilla. I mean, he's just got this head like a an anvil. <laughs>
0: There's no. See,
1: <laughs> I like that the army literally can't find Godzilla yeah. in that movie. They lose yeah. him numerous times.
0: Yeah, yeah. in, in with helicopters, <laughs> it's like just go up. <laughs> yeah. just, just, just go up. Yeah.
1: We have had a whole discussion on yeah, that. We, we, yeah,
0: the we
3: only had, part of that movie that's good is when they're at sea with the fishermen.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's
3: yeah. going great, and you think, okay, this has got potential, and then you see Godzilla, and you go, he's got a tennis shoe box for a head. You know, this is <laughs> this is- Ridiculous! He's got no eyes. You can't engage with him.
0: Oh man, that's well, scary. It's that. It's so true. I we love need to Godzilla. do a whole Godzilla yeah. episode yeah. now. Would, would because... you come back and talk Godzilla sometime? <laughs> yeah. Would you like? Would you enjoy that? Yeah,
1: sure. Awesome! Is, is, can Mister Carpenter hear us? Does he have a favorite Godzilla?
3: It, he just did this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tennis box head or no? I'm not interested.
0: Playing Fallout. Uh, <laughs> i love fallout i mean it, that's amazing it, that that i mean yeah we could talk godzilla all day i like anything that has king Ghidorah in it i love that three-headed dragon monster oh, yeah. So. yeah
3: yeah yeah i have actually that's over there
1: yeah. <sighs> <laughs> my, so aaron has a one-year-old i have a two and a half year old and my two and a half year old is into godzilla you can see that aaron's wearing a famous monster shirt we worked. I don't know how much they're doing now, but we worked with them a lot at Comic-Con for the last, I don't know, four years, five years, and we've moderated their panels. So we have a ton of, of, uh, famous monster swag. And I have a Ghidorah versus Godzilla shirt. And my kid knows Ghidorah and he goes King Ghidorah bad guy. And I said, that's right, buddy. (laughs) And now we'll watch like the fight scenes. And he's at the point now where he can tell he knows Ghidorah. He knows Godzilla. He knows guy he knows Ghidorah's sounds, like his vocalizations more than any of the other ones. And he huh. thinks they're hysterical. And I don't think he's wrong. I think he's correct. <laughs>
3: well, yeah. I mean, p- part of the fun, you know, with Toho movies is is their absurdity. And, yeah. Um, I, but the, they rock. I mean, I love it. <laughs> they,
0: they absolutely love. rock.
3: They destroy everything. You know, it's they're just great.
0: Have you and gotten into the Gamera films at all? Bit. I love the 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 most recent trilogy, the latest, the last one that came out in the 90s, I think is incredible. They took all the stuff that made you know the Godzilla movies good and built on that technology. I think as a mm. kaiju movie, they do the best mm. destruction and some cool stuff. But anytime Godzilla, even when he's cheesy, that camp draws me in. And yes. then later when he's serious, just the spectacle draws me in. I think there's mm. something every Godzilla movie has something. Very few of them are not fun. I,
3: I like the recent ones that that were done you know the with elizabeth olsen and and yeah the, i thought those were great
0: king of the monsters seeing Ghidorah on screen again i mean come on rodan yeah. on screen again was just amazing yeah. i could not i could not be mad at that it was so good
3: yeah no i i i i dug those i thought they were fun they brought back the the threat the destruction a good Mm -hmm. story inside it Mm -hmm. that's a root for everybody
1: it's enjoyable it's like it's like i don't think they're timeless classics for sure but i think they hit the notes that the godzilla movies are supposed to be like you said the story is there the fun is there the destruction is there the creatures were there and i think all of us that grew up with that there was a good nod in there from the filmmakers who were like hey i hear you i understand you I understand I'm treading on sacred ground here. I'm going to do my best, and I feel like we all yeah. saw and understood that, right?
3: And we've got that that kind of Jurassic Park technology in there, mm-hmm. you know, which brought it up to speed for everybody that just thinks they have to be too hip for the room. Sure,
1: yeah, that's true. You know. uh, well, we all right. So for real, we're gonna we're gonna talk to you about doing a whole other Godzilla thing, whether it's a retrospective <laughs> or focus on a, a more specific topic. But that would be really fun. We got to keep getting ready for Halloween here. I got one final specific Halloween question for you. And then we'll call it a day here because we really will talk your ear. Well, we'll let you talk our ear off all day. All right. There's a lot of specifically Halloween, Halloween movies, not counting the first one. Do you have a favorite Halloween movie or one that you specific? I'm not saying the best, but just a Halloween from the franchise Halloween, one that you think is enjoyable to watch. I
3: think 2018 is really good. Mm, okay i I think uh David Gordon Green did a great job with that, and I think that it cleaned up the mess that happened between <laughs> the original and, and now um, <laughs> there's because, a lot of
1: sweeping to do in in that period
3: oh man those are some bad movies <laughs> um, you know, but I think that that for people that actually care about the the mythology and um, and who Michael Myers, the Michael Myers mythos, um, to go from the original to 2018 is a is a nice seamless uh, pathway, and I think that uh, kills is going to. Um, Ramp up the bloodlust for everybody. Yeah, oh, I, I think
1: that's probably that seems to be you know, a good uh, prediction. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. So I, I think that uh, when when uh, David and Danny came on board for the 2018, you know, they got it. It was the first mm-hmm. time that um, that John was sitting with them and and they pitched their their notion where it was just like done, great awesome you know, these are people that actually get what the original was about and uh since you can't kill the franchise um you <laughs> might as well like clean it up
1: they sure as hell tried <laughs> like yeah
3: they gave oh, it yeah. a lot no, you should have just put a pillow over its head. <laughs> <laughs> but you know i i think that that 2018 really was a good movie
0: awesome yeah, it, it we I we enjoyed it. We definitely talked about it on our show, and I'm so excited for the next one. Um, and it's just good, fun. it's just good to see Michael Myers back on the screen. I mean, so That's many it, right. Of,
1: you just enjoy yeah. it. I don't really care if it, I mean I want it to be good, but if it's good or if it's bad, at least I can enjoy it on two different levels, oh, right? Man. Whichever one it is.
3: you couldn't even enjoy on a bad level. <laughs> they were they they were just puke worthy.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to disagree. Uh I still have a soft spot for 3. That one puts me in a good Halloween mood, but it's Oh fun. yeah, three is well, one of the three's best.
3: 3 is a fun movie, but if you're asking about the, you know, the Michael Myers base. Right, right. Yeah, Whoa, once you get
0: crazy. into like once Paul Rudd shows up on screen I'm like what's Ant-Man doing here? <laughs> Come on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Was it his fault? No, he no, I, he tried. I love, he acts I love his ass Paul Rudd. off in that I love movie. Paul he acts Rudd, his ass off. That
0: movie is wow <laughs> it all it happens every franchise it it, it happens for sure um, well where can people find out what's going on what what do you have something you want to plug is there uh, where can people follow you where can they find the comic books give us some uh, info for uh, the listeners
3: it's real hard to find us everything <laughs> is is is, is uh, stormkingproductions.com stormkingcomics.com um, uh, the new tales for Halloween night is uh, coming out, I think, next week. Um, we'll be at New York Comic Con. We're booth uh, 3001. It's a 30-foot booth with a bunch of the writers and artists from uh, Tales for a Halloween Night, and uh, the writer of um, uh, the Grimstown Terror, Neil Edmonds gonna be there as well. Um, what we have coming out right now, um, We've got uh, David J. Scow's series uh, for Tales of Science Fiction, L. So that's a good one to read for Halloween. Um, we've got Tales of Terror. We've got 13 Horsemen by Nat Jones. That's a good one for Halloween. Um, and we've got Second Nature by uh, Calero. That's a werewolf story. It's a good one for Halloween. Um, I also recommend Anything by Joe Hill. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, uh, anything by Steve Niles uh, which we've got from him we've got like three books or his original Frankenstein he did with uh, Bernie Wrightson Mm -hmm. all for good to prepare for Halloween Um, but you can find me anywhere if you put Storm King comics up you'll find me
0: well, Sandy King Carpenter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Matt and I do a little uh, handshake. It's a secret handshake for the Rocketeers. Um, wonder if you'd want to join us to do it. We do it as a high five on the Zoom, and then we turn into a rocket ship and blast off. So, uh, so we we'll
1: come in sideways like this. We'll make a whoosh sound. Then we invert it, and then you make a raspberry noise as you, as you uh, blast off.
0: So here we Ready? go. Ready? Three, okay. two, one. Whoosh.
1: <laughs> All right, guys. You somehow made that look dignified. I'm not gonna lie.
0: <laughs> it was awesome. Guys, follow us on social media: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at launchpadpod Our website: launchpadpod.com. Watch us on the YouTube. Check us out. We got handsome faces. Let us know what you are into. What is your Halloween go-to, guys? We cannot wait to hear about it. And uh, we're the Rocketeers, and we are out.
2: ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three. Two, one, zero, all engines women. Lift off, we have a lift off.